Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Legal Weekly Wine. We are at the end of season two, having slogged through the Supreme Court decisions that have been issued in the summer of 2023. And today we are joined again by our wonderful guest, the uh, Dean of the Honors College of Middle Tennessee State University, Dr. John Vile. I'm Virginia Tarani, and we are both here to talk with you about the week's hottest legal topics. Welcome back, Dr. Vile. Good to be here. Okay, and so we have so much to say about Dr. Vile. What was um, this about slogging through the Supreme Court? <laughs> Um, that was not how I interpreted it. We had such a lovely time. Okay, and that's so much better. Talked so many more episodes about each and every one. Yes, okay, very good. I think it really referred to the number of pages um, that we had uh, to get We did through. have to read a lot, yes. Um, the hundreds of pages and hundreds of pages of decisions by the Supreme Court, which had monumental things to say. Um, but yes, I'll, I'll say it referred to that. <laughs> but, but what we're going to do today is um, we have our amending process and constitution um, expert with us, our our expert on the Constitution and the amending process and constitutional law expert with us today. So we are going to spend the majority of today talking about the Equal Rights Amendment and what its background is, the background of the amending process, and where this stands today. So that's going to be the majority. But to start us off on an interesting and fun note, we're going to spend a little bit of time since it's the weekly wine, talking about wine and Taco Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I have with me, um, again, Dr. Vile, I, I really wish you would uh, uh, join us for some wine, but I understand your tasty beverage is this lovely water. All of you, it's happy hour on Friday. Grab a glass of wine or your favorite water um, or other beverage and sit back and enjoy. I've got specifically a Gewurztraminer, um, one of my favorite drinks. Um, it is a wine. It is a white wine. Um, this is called Turn. And I will put, I will drop a link to it in the description, but I got it at our local, our little local wine store, um, finewine.com. And I also have that in the comments. So Cheers. Okay, hold on. Yes, tell me. Does this, oh, does this right. go with Taco Tuesday or Taco Friday? Is it right? I know we're in Friday, right? Um, but right. we're talking about Taco Tuesday. Um, okay. so it is so, sort of Taco Tuesday in the sense that, you know, certainly when we talk about tacos and Tuesdays, we talk about drinking. Um, the, the two kind of go hand in hand. Of course, they go with tacos. But when you eat tacos, um, there's often a drink involved. Usually not wine. <laughs> not wine. Um, it's usually some kind of beer, as I understand Taco Tuesdays and have used Taco Tuesdays myself. Um, I love a Corona with them. Um, it, it, people have their own choices. But if I do drink wine with Taco Tuesday and people can say what they want to about whether it should be, you know, you should use a red wine or a white wine with a taco. Um, but I like cheese. Um, lots of cheese with my tacos. So I default to a white, which goes very well, most often with cheese. Uh, that That's my preference. So I have chosen, that's why I have chosen a white for today, um, since I'm not drinking a Corona. Um, we've only had one, do you know, we've only had one exception 
and the entirety of the the legal weekly wine from drinking wine. Do you remember which one it was? You were there. Oh, oh yes, I do. Uh, and it goes along with today's case, Jack Daniels. It does, yes. So, so right, so the Jack Daniels case that we discussed had to do with whether it was a trademark infringement to do a chewy, squeaky toy for dogs yep. in the shape of and resembling the emblem of Jack Daniels. The whiskey and bottle. The taco case is very similar. So. Taco John's apparently had gotten a trademark for Taco Tuesdays, both the in term. New Jersey. Pardon? The term, right? The, yes, the phrase, Taco, Taco Tuesday. Tuesday. Tried to trademark the term Taco Tuesdays. And Taco Bell was trying to sue to say that that wasn't a per, an appropriate uh, trademark. And because what they happened like this... to refer to Taco Tuesdays. Right. And what happened this week is that the lawyers won again. Taco John said, we, you know, we can't spend another million dollars on attorneys. Yeah. So we're going to drop the case. Yeah. But Which as I understand sad. it, pardon? It's kind of sad. The, the, I mean, oh. it feels like the little guy can't, can't get by. Well, on the other hand, should you be able to trademark a term Taco Tuesdays? I, I, I have not read the case. I, I hate to say that, but I haven't. So I don't know the legal reasoning behind it. Um, but it seems like such the vernacular now is like, of course, it's a Taco Tuesday. Um, you know, well, but is it is it because could it be because mm-hmm. Taco John's started the term and went off with it and then Taco Bell sold it, stole it from them. I just wow. don't know. I don't know enough about the the, the legal issue. Uh, but my understanding, by the way, is there's one state where Taco Bell still can't use it. Oh, you know, oh, the I state didn't know this. No. Well, my understanding, and this was a quick read. So your your viewers might want to check up on it. But that in Apparently, New Jersey had itself somehow recognized this trademark within the state. And that's not a right I even knew states had the right to do. I but, didn't know that either. Well, again, you we we might this is one where you might do a little research and put a little note at the end saying, Yeah. You know. <laughs> oh my goodness. I'll have to have what what we may do is I'll I'll swing you into to one. I have a trademark attorney friend. Maybe we the three of us can can get on one of these sessions and talk about the trademark law. Okay. That and, 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 you, you, you'd probably you'd probably do just as well with your friend and yourself with a little bit that I know about trademark. I mean, oh my I goodness, did the Jack but, Daniels case. But between the Jack Daniels case and our Taco Tuesday, I can't I can't exclude you. <laughs> well, in any, I won't feel too too heartbroken if you decide to go to go elsewhere for expertise on this but in any fun. well cheers and a happy hour and not taco tuesday to you see you're delayed you were delayed in the cheers and um, i still agree that this okay white wine goes very well with cheese this gourds amener is lovely um it is it is dry, but not too dry. I don't like a really dry wine. Um, so this is, it really would go well with cheese. 
Um, so I believe I'm correct. Grab your own bottle um, and try it with your taco next Tuesday um, or today for happy hour while you think about the next Taco Tuesday. So, all right. Well, thank you for doing that. So off we go, as I continue to say so, off we go to the Equal Rights Amendment. A, you're so well-versed in amendments, in the amendments themselves, the ones that we have, the amending process, and what amendments have been proposed, how many have been promote, proposed, what they've been, the status they have had, what they have been you know, met with, so your particular take on this is even to me most better than anyone else because you know that you've even done rewriting the constitution is one of your um, books. What are some of the other ones about the amending process specifically? Well, I have a book called Conventional Wisdom, which deals with an un unused mechanism in Article Five, the amending uh, clause that would allow for two thirds of the states to call a constitutional convention to propose amendments. Um, I have, since you've given me the opportunity, I have Please. the fifth edition of my encyclopedia of constitutional amendments, proposed amendments and amending issues will be out. I believe in, I believe it's October. It's fairly soon. I've done all the proofs and we're just waiting to, you know, sort of put the final polish on it. Um, but the Equal Rights Amendment, what's fascinating about it, I mean, partly the history is fascinating, but it raises that there are, there's quite a bit that we know about the amending process. You know, we've, we've adopted 27 amendments, although, you know, given that we've, we've been in existence for over 200 years, um, that's a pretty low rate. It's one of the lowest rates of amendments of national constitutions in the world. And especially um, when 10 of them were adopted all at once. That's right. Ten, and, and another and, three together. Well, actually, yeah, the, the amendments tend to come in clumps. Mm. Uh, your first 10 out of their 12 proposed and 10 were adopted in what we now call the Bill of Rights. They were in response to anti-federalist criticisms that the new constitution would create too powerful a government and we needed to list specific rights. Um, and then after the civil, and then, you know, the, there were two amendments adopted sort of between then and 1802, I believe it was. Um, but then you go up here, you go from then until 1865, without any amendments being adopted. Right. Uh, and then three are adopted very quick, 1865, which, 1868, 1870. Which are known as the Civil Rights Amendments. Well, so post-Civil War Amendments. Civil War uh, Amendments. Yeah, I mean, enough. 13th Amendment prohibited slavery. And, and that, by the way, is back in the news, except in the cases of punishment for crime. And some people think that exception should be eliminated. Uh, 14th Amendment, probably the most important. Well, they're all important. If if I were a slave, I think 13th Amendment might be more important. But Absolutely. 14th Amendment goes on then to guarantee that all persons shall have equal protection of the laws, due process of the laws, and privileges, immunities of U.S. citizens. And then the 15th Amendment, which worked more on paper than it did in practice, was mm -hmm. designed to prevent discrimination on the basis of voting rights. And then 
you go another period from 1865 to, I believe, about 1913, and then you have four amendments adopted in relatively quick order from 1913 to 1920, the Progressive Era amendments. And then you have another amending a period, uh, sort of late 60s, early 70s. Uh, but and the one, the the ones you were just talking about, that included the the women's right to vote. As the nineteenth, right? The nineteenth amendment was was adopted in the in the progressive era, or sort of the end, actually, of the progressive era. It had been, you, you know, it had actually been first, pro well, not proposed in Congress, but the idea of women's. Well, let me back up. Women were actually allowed to vote at the time of the after shortly after the American Revolution up to about 1800ish in New Jersey, uh, but they had to be women who were not living at home and weren't yet married. So okay. it was the idea that their their neither their husbands nor their fathers could vote for them, and so but. When when the Seneca Falls Convention met in New York in 1848, one of the ideas percolating there was the notion that women should be given the right to suffrage. And several people, you know, drove to the convention when they heard this and took their daughters away and, you know, said, I, you know, I have no idea who this woman is. You know, she, <laughs> oh my God. you know, I mean, it, it was really considered for most people considered to be a radical idea. And Which is interesting because that was proposed, you're saying 1848? Well, it wasn't proposed in Congress, but there one right. of one of the ideas in the platform there was that women should have an equal right to vote. Which and is incredible was, because that's even before African American slaves were well, even thought. And, to and actually, I actually wanted right to get there because when the 14th Amendment is adopted. Many, you know, many prominent suffragists, mm. and I've learned, by the way, uh, that suffragette, which is often used, was was intended at the time as sort of a derogatory term for women. So they preferred to call themselves suffragists. And they thought, you know, many of them had fought very hard for abolition. Mm. And they were, you know, they thought that part of their reward should be that when African-American men got the right to vote, that they should get the right to vote as well. Okay. And Frederick Douglass, who was, you know, one of the, the engines behind the 15th Amendment, ultimately said, you know, and he, I mean, he was a sympathizer with women's rights, but he said, as much as, you know, as much as I understand that women don't have full equality, they have not been as women simply subjected to slavery in the same way that African Americans were, and that, which is so true. Well, it was. I mean, that. But I but mean, in African American any, women, when you want to add right. the two together, but well, not that's right. white. That's women. right. Mm -hmm. But it, but in any event, they did not get included. Now there were some. Uh, there were some who were hoping that the Equal Protection Clause of the Fourteenth Amendment would work for women's voting and and there was actually there were actually a couple of women who tried this out uh tried, showed up at the polling booth and were, were turned down and then sued um oh wow and you know the court and and actually from a from a textual standpoint the court might have 
you know, in the different ways to interpret the Constitution, if you just if you just take the language equal protection of the laws, and that's that'll lead us into the Equal Rights Amendment, equal protection of the laws, although it was primarily adopted, we know, for freedmen, you know, mm. those who had been former slaves, the term itself seems to apply to all individuals, regardless of status or sex or, you know, previous condition of servitude. And so there were there were some women who were hoping that and, and there were, there's also a case about this time, by the way, that should interest you. And I believe it was Minor versus Happersat. And I wish I remembered the specific uh, date, about the 1870s. Okay. But in any case, in, in that case, there was a woman who had gone to law school and sued to practice law. And the court said, uh, no, uh, the natural function of woman uh, is to take care of the home. Uh, raise children. Uh, they don't have a right uh, in the in the public square, if you will. And and in in favor of that, not not in favor of that opinion, but textually, what worked in their favor was one of the provisions of the Fourteenth Amendment had provided that states that denied the right to vote to men over the age of twenty one could be that could be factored in their representation in the House of Representatives. Oh. And so the fact that the 14th Amendment itself, now not section one, but I believe it was section, I believe it was section three, but I'd have to look it up. But the fact that that amendment itself used gender language to, you know, it it would only apply if white men were deprived of the right to vote or men were deprived of the right to vote, right. would seem to indicate that maybe women were not, in fact, uh, protected by the language, even though the language itself was quite capacious. Interesting. And that so that's different, though, because when we have the, the Constitution originally made, that didn't talk about women, but it did talk about slaves, or about African-American men. Well, not directly. Uh, as it, the three-fourths or the two-thirds? Yeah, three-fifths. Three-fifths. Uh, neither it, number it, was right. It, right. The, the Constitution very purposely never used the word slave. It okay. would always refer to such other persons. Or Which is use, what we interpret. But well, the it, it meant slaves. Uh, right. Lincoln said something to the effect that circumlocutions are the fig leaf behind which this part of the body politic hides. <laughs> oh, that's a great quote. Uh, oh, absolutely. Well, he, more often. Lincoln, was, Lincoln was good at using, <laughs> at knowing how to say the right, the right word at the right time. Wow. So, okay. So we had, we had that, then we had the civil war amendments. Then we had the, you're saying the progressive era. Progressive era amendments. And, and you actually have a tie on commemorating that, correct? Well, actually, it's a, you know, I have a book on the flags. So, so but it, it's a book, it's a book that has, I guess, what's supposed to be a suffragist there, uh, waving the flag. Uh, and they did, you know, particularly right in the 18th, well, in the, during World War One. Woodrow Wilson, as I understand it, originally either opposed or was very tepid toward allowing women to vote. And Wilson, by the way, who in many ways was a progressive, was not a progressive when it came to 
uh, the rights of African Americans. He resegregated uh, the federal government at that time. Oh. Um, but he did eventually support the Equal Rights Amendment, partly because the opposition, the cons the opposition of women to not getting the right to vote, he thought was hurting national unity at a time when you know the United States would, had entered World War One. So where are we after the progressive era, era? Now we have the actual civil rights movements. And what do we have around then? Well, you, you, you have, you know, represent, well, you have the two-term limit on the presidency. Uh, you have um, electoral votes for the District of Columbia. You have the elimination of the poll tax. Uh, you have the 25th Amendment, which provides for presidential disability. Uh, 26th Amendment provides for voting rights for 18 to 21 year olds. And then the one that actually is the most relevant to today is you have the 27th Amendment, which was proposed back in 1789 and was adopted in 1992. And How it, does that it, happen? Well, it happens because the, the Constitution and Article 5 is a part of the Constitution related to the amending process does not specifically define when an amendment can, how long it, uh, an amendment can be before it's ratified. So mm. two thirds of Congress proposed, three quarters of the states adopt. What is the time period between one and the other? Well, the constitution doesn't say. It's silent. Now, it's silent on the matter. Now, what happened is beginning at about, I believe beginning with the 16th Amendment, though I may be mistaken on this, but the amendment providing for the national income tax, which I'm sure we all know and love. Uh, <laughs> I haven't committed the number to memory, but I know okay. about that income tax. Okay. In any event, um, beginning with that, and apparently as sort of a poison pill, uh, and I believe it was Warren G. Harding who did it, who was then a member of Congress. They tacked, although it, it may have been Aldridge of New York, and in any event, um, they tacked on a seven-year ratification limit, thinking that it would take longer than that, and then the amendment would die on its own accord. Uh, and I think I may, I may have this backwards, too. It may not have been the 16th. It may have been the that they did that for the 19th. In any event, they tagged it on an amendment. And there's there's two court cases, which as a lawyer, I'm sure you will appreciate. One in 1921, there's a case, Dillon versus Gloss, in which the court says that amendments should reflect a contemporary consensus, which makes sense, right? Um, yeah. You know, the, there shouldn't be such a big time between proposal and ratification that you're not really sure that it represents the consensus of the people at the time it's adopted. Right. But 1939, there's another case, Coleman versus Miller, mm -hmm. in which the Supreme Court says, yes, there's a contemporary consensus, but that's to be determined by the political branches it's a political question for Congress to decide. And as a result, and so what happens in, in 1992, oh, wow. what happens in 1992 is a guy named Gregory Watson, 
who is a legislative aide and student at the time. Well, he was a student at the University of Texas who wrote a paper, term paper for a political science class. Uh, and he got a C after suggesting that the amendment prohibiting Congress from giving itself a pay raise until after election, that that amendment could still be ratified. That was proposed as one of the original 10. And his, he subsequently, by the way, they had a ceremony in which the professor retracted his grade and gave him an A <laughs> after he spent you know, $5,000 of his own money and call legislators all over the country to get wow. them to adopt the 27th Amendment. And they did. And they did. that. Well, they did. Now, there are some of us who suggest that the amendment is still a bit tainted. And as a result, courts don't seem to have enforced it quite according to the letter that, you know, they have permitted so-called colas for members of Congress every year, even though there's not an intervening election between each, each one. But, but nonetheless, but what the difference is this. So are we ready to go to the Equal Rights Amendment? Please, no, thank you. <laughs> How many side paths can I take before no, I get no, no, there? No, 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 but this is good because it's an understanding of how we are even at this place. How, like you're saying, how the amending process works. You're the one who knows. And to, well, to some, some of this. it, nobody knows uh, because it had, you know, we, we don't have definitive court decisions on them. Mm -hmm. And as you know, even if we had a court decision, uh, it's divided by stare decisis. The, nor do they interpret it the same way. That's right. If they so, did, we wouldn't need the court. It would be so self-obvious. So in 1972, let me look at my notes. Sure. 1972, well, go back to 1923, which would have been three years after the adoption of the 20th Amendment. Congress introduces an amendment which basically says equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. And it is continually reintroduced. If I remember, the Republican Party goes almost 50 years every four years putting in their platform that they favored the Equal Rights Amendment. Now, they the, changed the Republican the, Party did the Republican Party, maybe the Democrats, too. But but I know the Republican Party did at the time. Uh, they changed their mind in about about the time that this one is introduced in 1972, a little thereafter. Uh, but nonetheless, it's first proposed in Congress in 1923. They finally get three quarters of both houses of Congress to agree to. I'm sorry two-thirds of both houses of Congress to agree to it in 1972. And prior to this time, as we've discussed, amendments had been introduced fairly systematically with a provision that says this amendment will not be valid unless it goes into effect in seven years. By this and, date. Yeah, uh, ratified by the states within seven years. I'm not quite sure where they got that number from, um, but it, it would stand a reason that it would take more than, you know, more than a year or two. Some state legislatures only meet, you know, at, at the time, I think some were meeting only every other year. Mm. And 
you know, someone, I have an election prior to voting on an amendment. Um, but in any event, the tw so most amendments from this period, you will find this time limit in the amendment, which as I understand it, and Walter Dellinger, uh, former attorney general, made a very good, has a great article on this. I believe he's now passed away, but had a great article on this saying if it's in the text of the amendment, it's self-enforceable. Okay. Now, people looked at this and a lot, you know, some of them said, well, this is sort of silly. We have a series of amendments, each one of which says the same, you know, if not ratified within seven, seven years, it doesn't become an amendment. This is sort of constitutional chaff. We don't need it in the Constitution. Uh, so when oh. they introduced the 1972 amendment, they said, well, instead of putting it in the text of the amendment, where it'll clog up our Constitution, uh, we'll simply put it in an authorizing resolution. We'll keep the time period the same, seven years, but we're not going to put it in the text. And I don't think anybody was, I mean, I think it was almost purely an aesthetic decision. Right. But, they assumed that the timeline would apply. Right. They, they right. The people, when, when it went to the states, it went accompanied by an authorizing resolution that said this won't be valid unless it's adopted in seven years. So it's proposed in 19, what did I say, 1972. So tell me what happens the next year that throws a monkey wrench into this. Oh my goodness, in 73. Oh, of course you're going to ask me. I Okay, I'm know. sorry. Maybe, you're right. maybe on, it, it's since been overturned. It's since been overturned. So overturning the Dobbs decision. Oh, was it? It was Roe. Yeah. Okay, that was 73. Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, and Thank that, you. and I say threw a, a, a wrench in it. That's not the only fat thing that's happening. This is about the same time, I believe Frontier versus Richardson is 1972. One of the cases in which it was decided that a man and a woman both had equal rights to be executor to an estate, you wouldn't automatically assume the man over the woman. Okay. So the Supreme Court about this time is already beginning to use the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment to accomplish much of which people arguing for the Equal Rights Amendment were for. Okay. In other words, if you, if you, and there's not that much difference really in, in the wording. Um, yeah, what is, give us the wording it, of this Equal Rights Amendment. Well, no, I think I did, but that's right. Equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. Okay. And, you know, equal the 14th Amendment calls no person should be, no state should deny to any person the equal protection of the laws. So, so it that, just that, basically added that extra piece is the. Well, it, on, on the basis of sex, I mean, it's. It, it, it's the, on account of sex. The, the language is similar to the 19th Amendment, but okay. the 19th Amendment refers only to voting rights. Okay. Now, let me back up a little bit. One of the difficulties with the Equal Rights Amendment, you know, why does it take, okay, it takes from 1848 to 1920 to adopt the 19th Amendment, give women the right to vote? So what were the obstacles there? Well, a lot of it was just traditional ideas of the role of women 
uh, fear that women would become tainted uh, by their association with the political process, and and you know this was a man's world and that sort of thing. So, I'm what sorry, were the obstacles? Pardon. My doorbell has rung. It's one of the one of the risks of having my YouTube studio in the basement. Apologies. Go um, ahead. Fair enough. Okay. So this takes us to what were the obstacles? Why did it take from 1923 to 1972 to adopt the Equal Rights Amendment? And I would say the primary, one of the primary obstacles, well, one obstacle, there are two or three. One is there were actually some advocates of women's rights who strongly opposed the Equal Rights Amendment because they had been working to put in special protections mm -hmm. in the law for women um, it, to the extent that women are not as physically capable maybe of working a 60-hour week as a man might be, particularly if they have to take care of a home as well. The uh, idea it was thought, it. You, mm -hmm. you know, many, many of the early minimum wage a maximum hour legislation applied specifically to women. Okay. Um, and so some were afraid that you might give up some rights. And then what happened in 1972, so the Equal Rights Amendment is finally adopted. It's very quickly ratified by 30 states or so in the first year or so. Okay. Things are going along well. And then you start getting Supreme Court decisions and maybe okay. you had a few before, but Supreme Court begins interpreting the 14th Amendment in a way that all seems similar to what maybe what the Equal Rights Amendment would do. And then you get Roe versus Wade. And one of the things, so there, there was actually, the, when the Equal Rights Amendment was proposed, there was something called the Hayden Rider that originally was proposed was added well when they get ready to vote on it they would add this rider which would basically say uh, but the amendment shall in no way undermine any rights that have already been given to women special rights that have been given to women okay and then the issue came up okay 1972 we're still well we're right at the we're getting toward the end of the vietnam war but we're still in a period of the draft and one question that was never answered mm -hmm. um probably purposely, was if you have a draft and you have an Equal Rights Amendment, does that mean that women could be equally drafted with men? And people okay. had strong opinions on both sides of this, by the way. Right. Uh, some said, well, you know, that women, if women have full rights, then they have full responsibilities. And others said, well, that would just be too disruptive. You know, it's too, you know, too different from social norms to permit that to occur. So that was lingering out there. And then uh, Roe versus Wade is decided. And people say, well, does equal rights amendment, it, it, with the equal rights amendment mean that women have a complete right to an abortion? Okay. Um, and Phyllis St. Shaffley, uh, the Eagle Forum, uh, very activist woman uh, who who fought for for traditional gender roles, <laughs> fought as an activist for gender equal gender roles for her her gender role, which I, which I love. Uh, but anyway, she comes along and says, um, you know, does the Equal Rights Amendment mean that we're going to have all unisex bathrooms? Uh, and that was in the seventies. That was in the seventies. So you know, which is just 
so all these, you know, and probably, you know, most people said, well, of course not. You know, you still have a right to privacy. Well, right to privacy, we know where that is now. It, you know, that's yes. not explicit in the Constitution. So she raised all kinds of fears uh, that ultimately stymied, you need 38 states or three quarters of the 50 to ratify. At 35 states, they couldn't get any more. So seven years pass, uh, 1979 comes up, and Congress says, let's give it another three years. This was highly contested. Um, you know, remember, there's nothing in the Constitution that says how, okay, and then, then it's going to get even and more That says how long it's supposed to stand That's out right. there. And if it's in the text of the amendment, the amendment is self-enforcing. This was in an authorizing resolution. So we extend for three years, still no cigar. So mm -hmm. most people then said, okay, it's over. But now there are people who are saying that was never part of the amendment. If we can adopt an amendment the 27th, 203 years after it was proposed, why can't we adopt why this? Why not? Now, and what has subsequently happened? Let me see if I have the states so, listed. Three yeah, states, so Nevada, Arizona, and Virginia. I may be wrong about Arizona. Um, anyway, if you read my new encyclopedia edition. We'll know. Uh, Everybody loves uh, No, I'm, I'm wrong. Okay. It's Nevada, Illinois, and Virginia. Okay. Um, they add their ratification to the Equal Rights Amendment. But so when? They're now, they're now 38 states that have ratified. But when did they do their ratification? Well, they did it in the last several couple of years. Okay. Uh, Nevada, 2017, Illinois, 2018, Virginia, 2020. And how many do we need? 38. So we now have 38 states have ratified. But it's more complicated. So not only did they not ratify within the seven years or the three years, but a number of states have tried to rescind their ratification. Oh. They say, you know, when we, when we favored the Equal Rights Amendment, we thought it just meant, oh. you know, we didn't know that it can have all these other ramifications, so we're not for it. And the Constitution is silent on the issue of state rescission. Oh now, we do know that there have been states who have, who have voted against an amendment whose ratifications were subsequently counted after they took a new vote, but we've never had a definitive. Now, there is a, there's, a, there's a U.S. District Court decision uh, on the Equal Rights Amendment, which said uh, you, can, you can rescind, but it was ruled moot after the seven-year and the three-year deadlines passed. So, but there wow. are some, and, and you know, I, I get it. Some people say, you know, after all these years, the very least we can do is have a constitution that gives women equal rights, recognizes mm -hmm. that they have equal rights. And others say, and here's where it gets tricky. Others say, we don't need it. It's already been done through the Equal Protection Law. And then somewhat yeah. contradictory, others say, and if we do adopt it, what's it going to mean now? 
well, in the absence of the Dobbs decision, people are going to go to, or I'm sorry, in the presence of the Dobbs decision, people are going to go to this amendment and say women are not being treated equally if they don't have the same medical rights that men have. Okay. So that's where we are with it. Uh, wow. Very controversial. So is anyone yet suing over it? What What's the- Well, there, there are some who are demanding, right, the, the, there's- the person responsible, and it's changed about three times in U.S. history, it used to be Secretary of State. I'm not sure. There have been, there's, look at my encyclopedia, there, there are three of them. Now it's the National Archivist. So okay. some are saying the National Archivist, and he, by the way, did, if I remember, the National Archivist did certify the 27th Amendment, although Congress came back and then gave their approval, approval to the certification. So some are saying that the head of the National Archives should uh, should ratify the amendment. Since the Trump administration, uh, well, Trump allegedly administration, with the pardon, well, allegedly with this 38 vote. Well, but, but the, he has not certified the amendment because okay. that didn't occur within the seven or the three year extension. Okay. And I'm I'm sorry I'm I'm getting too excited here I'm losing my train of thought. This is fascinating. <laughs> but but basically what happens is he's saying I can't under these you know it shouldn't be up to me in these circumstances, and so Congress is saying well we have some people in Congress are saying that we have the right to decide, so we should go ahead and vote for it. Mm -hmm. Now, at the end of the Trump administration, the Justice Department handed down a ruling saying that in their judgment, it was too late to, well, to, to be clear, if you their position as I understand it, and I think it would be my position, but for a diff, somewhat different reason, would be you have every right to adopt the Equal Rights Amendment, but you've got to start the process over, mm. uh, you know, to make sure we have this contemporary consensus. But my understanding is that Biden administration has said we don't go by we don't go by that. We believe, in fact, that Congress can, in fact, uh, ratify this amendment uh, thirty, however many years uh, after it was proposed. So that's sort of where we are, and we're just pending. Right. And and again, the question, and, and here's, I mean, this is really tricky. Would it make any difference? That doesn't, does, you know, the way the Equal Protection Clause has been interpreted, most barriers, you know, used to be for, for many in 19th century, man almost always got custody of a child during a divorce dispute. That's no longer the case. Right. Um, Property rights, I think, are, you know, you'll know this better than I do, but, you know, in most most areas of the law that I know have been, in fact, pretty equalized between men and women. Um, and we don't, you know, we don't have a draft anymore. If we did, that could become a, a really big issue. But we mm -hmm. honestly do not know, or at least I do not know, if the equal rights were in effect and we ever had a draft again. Would it mean that women were equally subject? Now they could be equally mm -hmm. subject to the draft and not necessarily be equally subject to being in combat. 
uh, sure. you know, for many, for many or years. exceptions might apply. I mean, there are so right. many different ways right. to apply it. Right. But, but, and then the, I mean, then the other question is, I mean, there do seem to be some who are advocating the Equal Rights Amendment in the belief that that amendment would in fact protect abortion rights. And that issue, remember I said that one of the primary issue opposition to the Equal Rights Amendment was, you know, well, would it, would it diminish protections that women have? But there was this other element, you know, is there some kind of hidden agenda? Right. Uh, is it really an, you know, an amendment allowing for an abortion in other terms? And I know that there were some prominent proponents of the Equal Rights Amendment who disfavored abortion. Hmm. So it wasn't their intention. But as you know, it's not it, it's not the private intentions of people who propose something. It's what does the language actually demand. And exactly. I think you could make an argument probably either way for the equal. Now, there are, by the way, there are a number of states maybe even a majority now that have their own equal rights amendment. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I'm, you know, it's sort of a dilemma. Unless you think it would apply to abortion, it's hard to know immediately what effect the equal right adoption of the equal, you know, 19th amendment is adopted. We know what the effect is going to be. Right. Women who were excluded from voting. And by and the way, some states had permitted voting, beginning with Wyoming. Uh, it just required the country to right. allow women to vote. That, 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 that's right. No, no state now should, should, should or nation nation would be able to deny it. We know the consequences of that amendment in a way that we, I don't know specific specifically if the Equal Rights Amendment would enhance the right to abortion or not. I could see how you can make an argument that it would. Uh, you know, it's unique to women, and so it burdens them in a way that it doesn't burden others. Uh, but I don't know that the court, you know, the court could say, you could cite some of these people and say, well, they did not favor abortion. That's not what it meant. Um, and, and I think, you know, he, here's, where, here's where liberals and conservatives might converge. Mm. The great fear that Phyllis Shafley had, and you know, she was also very good at at, at knowing what issues would have emotional appeal. Yeah. But you know, when you raise issues of privacy, you know, these are things that you know they bother people. Yeah. Um, and and I'm about to lose my train of thought again. Um, do, right. So she was fearful that if you adopted the Equal Rights Amendment, the Supreme Court would use it to push equality in a direction that it had not previously been used. And in fact, if, if you remember, we talked about, I think it's the Bostock decision a, a, a time or two back where, you know, when the 64 Civil Rights Act was adopted, it said there should be no discrimination on the basis of sex, and that has now been applied also to uh, transgender. It's been applied to to, to uh, LGBT rights and the like. Right, and, so and that's what I want to follow back up with you. But go ahead. The right. question. And so, so the question is: Do you want 
do you want to give language which is very broad to the Supreme Court to do with it what you want? And those who, you know, the, the liberals who would typically favor the Equal Rights Amendment, it might give a little pulse to say, hey, this is a court that just struck down Roe versus Wade. Uh, Maybe we don't want the Supreme, maybe we don't want to give them language that they can interpret in a, you know, I don't know how you would exactly interpret this in a conservative direction, but, you know, given the current court, you know, and, and that's, again, that's why I, th I think part of the controversy of the Equal Rights Amendment is always, what exactly does it mean? Yeah. I mean, on its face, we know what it means, but does it mean, you know, does it apply to the draft? Does it apply to abortion? Does it apply to the right to privacy? Does it extend, you know, does gender mean male, female? Does it go to LGBT? Does it go to transgender rights, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, and is that, I guess my biggest question then is, are states rescinding because of this fear that it would include abortion and or because of the fear that it would include sex as de defined through the LGBTQ community. I think the second. I think it's too late. I don't. I don't know that any. I think the rescissions have occurred long before Dobbs. Okay. Uh, or the attempted rescissions. Uh, and by the way, the 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 district court opinion, which declared that the that the deadline applied. Uh, also had said that states did have the right to rescind it. And by the way, one might argue, you, you could make an argument that even if you don't think typically some, a state should be able to rescind, maybe it should be able to do so in a case where the authorizing resolution had said giving it seven years and it hadn't been adopted during that time period. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, this is this is interesting because it seems that it would be extremely hard in this time to get another amendment. There seems to be no greater time of division within Congress to actually right. meet that requirement needed to pass one. So I understand the idea of saying, oh, we've already got it, right. so that they can pull something like this that gives more rights and right. a, de a definition, whether vague or not, at least some definition within the Constitution to more liberal rights. Right. And, and there are some, by the way, who think that the Equal Rights Amendment didn't go far enough. Mm. Uh, some liberal proponents who say, you know, this, we need to be more explicit, <laughs> needs to be uh, to, to greater depth to it. So pretty kind okay, of pretty so, so let me ask you one final question, though. It, it, I'm trying not to take all of the time with the Equal Rights Amendment, but it's so fascinating. And you're the one who wrote the book on this is let's bypass Congress. How do we ratify it through the states if we go around Congress? There, there is a way to do this. Right. Two, two thirds of the states can call for, can ask Congress to call a constitutional convention to propose amendments. Now, I have a whole book on this, University of Georgia Press, um, but there are all kinds of questions surrounding it. The most interesting of which is, can the states call? And my answer is yes, but, but I'm far from, you, you know, I, I don't know that I'm even in the majority of this. Mm -hmm. Can you call a limited constitutional convention? Can you oh. call a convention that would simply discuss and propose an equal rights amendment? 
or a balanced budget amendment or you know a term limit or even including all possible amendments right right um and you know even more complicated or as complicated is how would how would delegates be chosen by whom would they be chosen uh how would states be represented uh and there are some i'm not among them who think very firmly that because the U.S. Constitution was adopted by a convention in which states are represented equally, this convention would have to be too. I think probably the fairest way would be to do something like the Electoral College, oh, where each state got a number of delegates based on its total number of representatives and senators. But that's far from a unanimous view. Um, has it ever been has this form of amending the constitution ever been used no well let me, let me add a qualification there are two ways to ratify amendments one is by three quarters of the state legislatures and the other is by special conventions called within each state this is at congress congressional specification the 21st amendment which overturned national prohibition was adopted by state conventions. Hmm. But, okay. but the answer is, have we ever had an Article 5 constitutional convention? No, we've never had one. To propose and, a new one. Right. Now, we have had, uh, we've had a number of proposed uh, laws that would seek beforehand to specify how such a convention would be conducted how states would be represented and the like, none of them has ever been adopted, in part perhaps because you think about it, you know, Congress Congress sort of has an interest in keeping, keeping this game to themselves, right, in proposing their own amendments without somebody else coming in. So right. do they necessarily want to clarify a method that would effectively bypass Congress? Probably Interesting. not. Okay. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Vile, for being on with us today, for telling us everything about the amending process, the Constitution, how this is working. And truly, it is one of the most fascinating topics that I, I have heard in a long time. And I thought, you know, oh, it's the Supreme Court decisions. But this seems like a topic so fueled for a Supreme Court decision, we just, it's it is. like we've talked about before is, is this a case in controversy yet? And I don't think we've gotten there. No. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for being on with us today, as well as through our second season of the Legal Weekly Wine as our expert scholar um, in the field. And we hope that you will join us again in season three. Look forward to it. All right. Thanks, everybody. Happy, happy hour for this week in July. Uh, stay as cool as possible through the rest of the summer and try to stay away from all the crazy smoke out there, which is not a part of the legal weekly wine, but certainly a big topic for the summer. Take care and we'll see you in season three.